We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I am excited to have Heather Staker on the program. She is going to talk to us about a whole bunch of stuff around blended learning. And one of the things that she talks about is getting clear on your technology purchases. And so I made a little handout for you. That's three questions to ask yourself to get clear on your technology purchases. So if you'd go to transformativeprincipal.org and fill out the form there, you'll be able to get that in your email and that'll help you deliver a clear message about why you need specific technology. And that's where, you know, it makes a lot of sense because the kids have the basic skills at that point to do their own independent work. And so one of the challenges, what does it look like at elementary school where the kids still, quote unquote, need so much direct instruction and attention? So how does that look different at elementary when you still want to give the kids autonomy and you probably can, but it you know, they need to learn how to decode words and how are they going to learn that without the teacher teaching them? And and you're right that it's at the youngest ages, some of the models that, that capture our hearts even more than the blended models, I think are, are the more Montessori models that allow the students to drive their own learning, but it's very much with hands-on manipulatives and not with, with screens almost to any extent. At these youngest ages, I, I don't recommend more than, say, 20 minutes a day of, of anything with a screen. So it's, it's, it's the students become readers and are able to 
to decode the words. And there, and even the, the upper elementary school students, I mentioned Acton Academy, that's very much a flex model starting in first grade. Now, granted, they want students to be readers by the time they enter in first grade. But as, assuming that they're readers, they really are able to thrive in these flex models. So I do think we have to question our assumptions around even what elementary school children are capable of. And I know Acton Academy draws some of their inspiration from these self-organized learning environments and Sugata Mitra with his hole in the wall experiment. And some of these these pioneers who question the constraints that we put upon our design because we think children just aren't capable. We also, quite frankly, sometimes say certain children aren't capable of it. Certain children don't come from backgrounds or have the the skill set where they could ever learn to have agency and to drive their own learning. And I think we need to be hard on ourselves and question those assumptions because I personally believe that every child can learn to drive their own learning, but they need the scaffolding to help them take the steps to to get to higher and higher levels of freedom and independence. It's a great goal for schools to set those to help children learn those skills as opposed to thinking that it's out of reach. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, my oldest daughter has Down syndrome and I have been, you know, plagued my entire life or her entire life with people saying, well, she can't do that because, and, you know, I I keep thinking, like, you want to say that about a kid that doesn't have Down syndrome. If everything else was equal, you know, parent education, our socioeconomic status, where we live, our involvement, our faith, all that stuff. If any other kid, you wouldn't say that. You're saying that just because she has this identified disability. And that doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means she's going to need a lot more scaffolding than somebody else. And, you know, especially for kids with disabilities, you know, so many times our intensive programs are focusing on them doing menial tasks to, because that's what's easy for us to teach them. But if they can learn those, they can learn higher order things as well. So I was about to get on a soapbox. And so I'll I'll just (laughs) stop there for now and, and ask you, what are some things we can do, especially with disadvantaged students, low socioeconomic status, and especially students with disabilities? How does this work for them? Well, I love what you just said about your daughter and questioning our own. It's really the adults. We get in our own way because we have mindsets and design constraints that aren't true. And questioning our own assumptions is a huge piece of opening up the world of possibilities for what learning can look like in the 21st century. So for example, we've long time had these categorization schemes like special needs and gifted and talented. And I like what you said to me right before that we started recording, which is that everyone should have an individualized education plan, an IEP, that this is not something that should just be for children in a certain bucket. But when you think about it, every child has their genius, whatever it is that they're really good at or that they come, the gifts that they bring to this world and their, their own power to live a fulfilling life. And if we truly embrace that idea and think about design choices from that vantage point, then as adults, we erase some of the constraints that would keep us from delivering the best for our children. So just to make that really concrete, I do think that there is value in the school team thinking about the right path for 
looking at the data and helping children um, have the opportunities and the blended learning models that work best for them on a weekly basis and that those children shouldn't be put in a bucket or in a category and kept there, but there really needs to be the opportunity for each child to advance based on whatever is their next skill set that, that's right for them. The technologies now exist to make that kind of customization possible. And it's really important that as adults, we realize that, that those technologies exist and we make them possible for our kids. Yeah. And, and so how do we go about then finding that right path for each child? Well, I think one of the first steps is to allow for variety. So there isn't one single path anymore, but instead we look at the teacher role and allow there to be more variety in what teachers do. Some teachers are going to be great at recording lectures and content and flipping their classrooms. Some teachers will be great at having those one-on-one mentoring relationships. Some teachers might be really good at working with kids that are struggling with deep behavioral problems and allowing teachers to, for, for principals to disaggregate that teacher role and allow for teachers to specialize and earn micro-credentials is one way. We have to have more pathways, allowing for different types of software programs. I have a daughter who loves the mermaids and the pirates and the coins and Dreambox math. And then I have a son who preferred the more straightforward Alex quick tables, just get her done. And it just, and Khan Academy, and it just really varies based on what is working for that child at that time. So we're now in a time where we aren't dependent on one teacher performing one monster role, really all encompassing role for all students, but instead teachers can specialize. And then there also can be various entry points for accessing content in the way that works best for each child. Yeah, man, I I love that, that idea there, Heather, because I'm thinking of teachers that I've had where one teachers I've had as a principal where one teacher was really good at this lecture style and her lectures were just engaging and amazing and you wanted to stay and listen. And so when I do observations in her classroom, I would want to, like, I loved it and the kids loved it and they were engaged and they were taking notes and paying attention and enthralled in the story. I would hate to not give her the opportunity to still engage kids in that way. It helped that she did a storytelling festival every year, and that was how she did it. So that was very powerful. But there were so many times where our curriculum forced her to do things in a different scripted way that was incredibly uncomfortable and ineffective for her. When if she could have just lectured, the kids would have learned because you can see the learning happening when you're in there. And then I had another teacher who, if she was working with more than five students at a time, it was chaos. But if she got down in that small group and could just focus on those kids, it was like there was magic happening. And and those are two very real teachers that had a very different skill set where our curriculum and our decisions at a higher level forced them out of their skill zones and into places where they were less effective. And as a result, really struggled at teaching when they very much had a gift. And so I would love to be able to say, if certain kids learn better by lectures, then we can allow that teacher to continue doing that. And she can have a a model to reach those specific kids. And if other kids learn better through hands-on activities, and there's a teacher who has the skill to manage you know, a bunch of kids doing hands-on activities, which is a unique skill set, then that's okay. So how do we identify kids and teachers and, and match them up like that? 
Well, I I know that what you're telling me is is right because we've all seen teachers that are just so magical in the way that they deliver the content. Whereas other teachers who struggle with that, but that that have other skills and the ability to connect individually with students and that type of thing. And so teachers thrive as we recognize and honor the gifts that they bring to the profession and allow them to soar in those areas as opposed to asking them to do to wear every hat. One principle that we've we know from the research is that learning through a variety of different touch points promotes transfer. So for example, if you were going to go master the concept of volcanic activity and you were able to read about volcanoes and then do an online lesson about volcanoes and then build a volcano and experience that lava flow for yourself, that would promote transfer for you because you've really come at it in lots of ways, which is true for adult learners too, that there are people who are listening to this podcast now, and then maybe you'll go read something next, and then maybe you'll go to a conference where you talk about it, and all of those different touch points promote transfer. So I wouldn't say necessarily that we'll line students up for the specific pathway that works best for them, and some students will only do lecture, and some students will only do hands-on projects, but what I see in the best schools is that there are a variety of modalities, and that promotes transfer, and it makes school just more, um, children see their progress. They feel like they're being successful because they're coming at the content in a variety of ways. Now, obviously, that wouldn't have been possible before these innovations came about to make it, it even imaginable within our cost structure. But now there really are a variety of modalities that we can use to make learning come alive and to help students access it in a variety of ways. Yeah, the, it seems like there are so many different opportunities for us to to improve and reach students. And it's not just about technology. It's about having access to things that we didn't have access to before. And so, you know, one of my students when I was a teacher was a um, just a brilliant young woman who she just amazed you with everything that she did. And she was higher than than any other student that I had. Definitely had spent a lot of time reading as a child and writing as a child. And by the time I got her in seventh grade, she was interested in Victorian literature and understood it well enough to perform in in a different way than other kids. And so, you know, she took our standards in seventh grade and applied them to the literature she was reading and, you know, Pride and Prejudice and and uh, Charles Dickens books and things in that nature. She was reading those books and applying these skills that she was supposed to learn, quote unquote, in seventh grade that she already had. I mean, she was writing better papers than I was in my bachelor's program uh, about the same topic. And it was it was amazing to see. And because of the ability for us to give her access to other things, I think she was able to have a really neat experience in school that, you know, had had those opportunities not been available, she would not have... I think she would have been bored a lot of the times, basically. And she still was, but I think she would have been even more bored. <laughs> and so it's not just that we're giving her technology to use, but we're, we have opportunities to expose her to different things. Can you talk a little bit about how other innovations have allowed us to do things differently in education besides just technology? So I just want to turn off technology for a second, you know, like access through technology is is okay still, but what are some of the other innovations that we've seen that have really 
change this ability in the classroom to give kids different opportunities? Sure. So at the Christensen Institute, Clayton Christensen has made a point of noting that that there are some types of innovations that are sustaining innovations that allow us to serve our existing customers, so to speak, even better. And we have had a real variety of sustaining innovations in education as Chalkboards have given way to whiteboards and then electronic smartboards as our standards have become clearer and higher as professional development has improved as our curriculum frameworks and textbooks and all sorts of innovations that have allowed for our classrooms to become richer and better. But I will say that really it is online learning that's the first disruptive innovation, an innovation that doesn't just improve upon what we've got, but that so fundamentally transforms the the paradigm for what teaching and learning can look like in this day and age. Online learning is the first disruptive innovation that at the Christensen Institute that we've spotted since the arrival of the printing press. And so that's how big of a deal it is in education. And I'm not talking about technology overall. I'm talking specifically about online learning where students have access to the the lesson and the instruction on their own without requiring a teacher to deliver that lesson or that instruction to them. And that is such a big innovation in terms of of allowing us to, to rebuild how schools work and what classrooms mean that I would say it is a landmark one not equivalent to the improvements that we've seen in textbooks and professional development and that type of thing. Hmm. That, that's really uh, a fascinating way to look at it. And let's talk a little bit about professional development because that the way that adults learn how to be better in school has certainly changed as well. And so for just my own brief history, four years ago, I started this podcast in the last two years, I've started doing a transformative leadership summit, which is an online only conference for educational leaders to help them improve. And then I've also started group coaching through a mastermind with principals who are looking to have regular accountability to help them improve their schools in a powerful way. And, and so those, those three things have really dramatically changed my opportunities to learn as a professional. And I think really uh, up to my education game in a powerful way. Can you talk a little bit about how people learn as adults and, and how that online access to learning has made things better for them? Well, your personal story is evidence further that adults are not unlike children and really all learners. That when it comes to learning, we benefit from having a more common sense approach where we learn in a way and in an access in a form of access that works best for us. So for you, it was easier for you to access it online more recently. And that was a way that gave you options that weren't available in the past. So another truth for all learners is that when we're more engaged and we're active learners, and there's a variety of modalities that promote transfer, that that allows us to learn more effectively. One of the things I've been spending my time doing in the past couple of years is hosting blended learning live events, I call them, where adult learners come together and and experience the different models of blended learning for themselves. And it's not traditional sit and get instruction. These adult learners are actually spending a couple of hours doing flipped classroom and spending a couple of hours doing flex model and learning some of the content in a station rotation model and and some through project-based learning and so forth. And so for me, 
the most powerful result of that is that these participants who emerge from that experience no longer need to be convinced that there can be value in blended learning because they've felt it for themselves and they've they've done the work themselves as these learners that are actively engaged and are moving around the room and are and are accountable for their results and moving through the system and more based on mastering the competencies and the learning objectives that they need to learn. And so they experience these principles of sound innovation for themselves and it helps them say two things. One, wow, I really learned better that way than in a more traditional environment that's sit and get, and I bet my kids would too. And two, they learn that it's not too scary that it really is possible for us to, to design our schools in ways that allow students to have access to, to different models of learning that were available in the past and that it, it's not too scary, but there are steps that principals and teachers can take to bring those opportunities to their children. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very powerful. Being able to experience that yourself really is a lot. So Heather, I don't think I prepared you for this, but the last question I ask everybody on my podcast is what is one thing a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? I would encourage principals to walk their buildings and note any instances of teachers feeling like the technology is replacing them. And if they're noting that that's occurring to making a decision this very week to changing that mindset because technology should not replace teachers. That human connection between a student and his or her teacher is vital and more so now than it's ever been because children's lives are complicated and this world is complicated and they need quality mentors who love them, who support them, who encourage them and who help them find their way. So I would encourage principals to walk their buildings, find teachers who feel like they can sit back and allow the technology to to babysit while they're um, being replaced and, and help those teachers awaken to the possibility of connecting with their students, of meeting with them individually, of giving them feedback, and of taking a very active role in each individual student's lives as the technology is assume some of the other roles that they can delegate to it. That's something teachers that principals can do right away. Yeah, that is great advice. Thank you so much. Heather, how can people learn more from you and connect with you? My website is readytoblend.com and I help teachers and principals experience blended learning and move forward with their strategic plans through blended learning live events and other training programs. So I'd love to work with anyone who wants uh, help as they move forward to this exciting new journey and set of possibilities in education. Wonderful. And thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principal Podcast, Heather. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principal. It has been an honor to be interviewing all these people and especially Heather Staker today. This was a great interview and I just felt so excited afterward that I was just jazzed and pumped. So I hope you feel the same way and thank you so much for listening again. Have a wonderful week. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? 
You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.